He's a United States Marine Corps infantry veteran, also a veteran firefighter. During his career, he was fighting a fire, became lost, disoriented, panicked, almost died. He's here to talk about how that impacted him, his career as firefighter, and how it motivates him to do what he does today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast is brought to you by retalk.com, the new social network. Are you frustrated with current social media platforms? Well, there's a new platform called Retalk for people just like you. The platform is run and moderated by people who believe in patriotic, family values, and certainly are on the side of law enforcement. You can talk about anything, from law enforcement issues to gardening to politics. Go to their website now at retalk.com. That's retalk.com. Calling us from South Carolina, we have Zachary Green on the phone. Zachary is a United States Marine Corps veteran, also a career firefighter. He is author of the book, Warrior Entrepreneur, and much more. Zach, first of all, thanks for your service in the Marine Corps as a firefighter, and thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. No, it's my honor to be talking with you today. We don't get an opportunity to talk to too many firefighters, and people don't understand, is we have a rivalry. At least we did in Baltimore, but we're all one family. We had red brothers and sisters and blue brothers and sisters, and we teased each other unmercifully but we always had each other's backs because, quite honestly, both of them are very dangerous professions. They are. Anytime where you run into danger rather than run away from danger, it takes a certain kind of person. And, and we do love the police service because somebody has to um, have ability to hire when someone fails the firefighter test. Ha, 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 yeah. Yeah, I promised myself I wasn't going to start about having to make sure the scene was clear before you guys entered, all that stuff. I wasn't going to do that. Or being able to sleep while I was working, I wasn't going to do that one either. But having said that, your career, how long were you a firefighter? So I was a firefighter from about 2002 up until, gosh, probably about five years ago. So about 10, maybe 15 years. And where did you serve? So I was uh, in the city of Wyoming, which is a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. We were surrounded on three sides by Cincinnati, and we covered uh, probably uh, about a, a 20 or 30-mile radius uh, helping out other cities um, for mutual aid if the incident was large enough. One thing people don't understand is is firefighting is inherently dangerous. We'll talk about the reasons why. And why nowadays it's even more dangerous than eh, years gone by. But in your career, you had one incident in particular where you got disoriented, lost, and thought you're going to die. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So it actually happened um, right when I first started training. Um, we had um, we were lucky enough to have somebody in the community that was going to demolish their house, and they donated to the fire department, and we would set it on different rooms on fires, try different ev- uh, evolutions. Um, I'm up in upstairs working my way down the hallway 
completely dark. You've got 80 pounds of gear on. You've lost all dexterity. You can't see anything. You can't feel anything. You literally don't know what up and down is. And as I work to the end of the hallway, I realized, you know, there should be either a staircase or a door there. And instead, I found three walls and realized, oh, my gosh, I'm not in a hallway. I'm in a walk-in closet. And I was trapped. I looked down at my regulator. Um, it had about 20 minutes of air left. I tried to turn on my flashlight. Of course, I didn't charge it up the day before, so I wasn't working. I panicked. When I finally got control of myself, I um, was able to follow the hose back outside. And when I was talking to my captain, I started telling him how upsetting this was that, you know, I got lost and disoriented here in the fire. And um, basically, um, he started making fun of me. And one thing led to another, and I and I realized, wow, this isn't just unique to me. This happens to everybody in the fire service, this lack of accountability of your tools, accountability of each other, and not being able and being disoriented. When you go into a room, if there's just a little tiny bit of light coming out of the corner, that's all you need to be able to orient yourself. But in total darkness, it, it's very scary. And then that's basically what happened to me early on in my career. I don't think people really understand two things about this. Number one, you talked about the low light conditions. Uh, the two fires I was in, I ran in very quickly. People were in the house. The fire department hadn't gotten there yet. And I, I decided to go in there and get them out. One of them was special needs people. And quickly was overcome by uh, smoke inhalation. However, you know, it wasn't low light conditions for either one. When you got to go in there and do this and you can't see... I don't know how you can orient yourself at all. It would very quickly lose track of what's up, what's down, what's east, what's west, where am I? Well, there's a big difference between low light and no light. No light is is horrifying because you do lose what's called your spatial orientation, which is just what you said, up, down, left, right. We kind of just take it for granted. You know, when you've got the horizon in sight, you automatically know where you are up and down. But when you've got total darkness and you've got 80 pounds of gear on your back and you're breathing in, uh, you know, air, which gives you a different mental sensation than when you're breathing in normal air, when you're breathing in compressed air from the cylinder, these all add up to be really, really scary. And what we have to do is we have to go back to zero technology to the days of running around a cave. Well, that's what we do. We get on our hands and knees. And the reason we're on our hands and knees is if you walk, you can fall in through a floor because you're going to step into that area and you go down. So if you crawl, your hands will tell you before your body weight gets to it that, hey, there's a hole there. So that's the first thing. The second thing we do, we, we steal from blind people. We use our tools like a blind person uses a cane. And we swing our axe or our park pole back and forth. And we, we try to find a wall. And once you find a wall, you kind of hug that wall, and then that'll kind of take you around. And that usually orients yourself. Are you in a kitchen? Are you in a bedroom? Are you in a living room? A kitchen, you feel the floor. You don't have carpet in a kitchen. Well, you don't have linoleum or tile in a bedroom. And in the living room, you got a chance there's going to be wood on that floor. And if you trans move from the bedroom to the bathroom, you'll feel the tile. And you start to pick up these little tiny tips and tricks that help you orient yourself in that darkness so that hopefully, you know, the most important thing is you got to get in the fire and you got to get back out. It's the most important thing. And another thing, too, this is the part that amazes me, is I didn't have time really to be afraid or have fear set in, except when maybe going to do warrants or raids, you knew that was coming up, or certain types of calls, 
usually it happens so fast you didn't really react till afterwards when you get in there and you're heading to a fire and there's people involved and you know you got to make entry into this building how do you begin to to like calm yourself and keep your your eye on the task at hand without getting panicky so when you go into a burning building and you don't have fear that's called stupidity oh well, yeah you or insanity one or the every other every single time you go in there now you have courage and that's the difference courage is taking that fear and moving forward and the way you move forward through that fear is through education through training and the trust in your brother and sisters next to you so what happens is is when you know that that can kill you you understand the danger of the situation that will heighten your reflexes that will heighten your senses but also allows you to give respect because I respect fire. I know what it can do. Fire is alive. It is a living organism. It breathes. It comes in. It comes out. We play hide-and-go-seek with it. When we know there's fire in the wall and I use an axe to open the wall up, the fire will run away from me. It runs up because now there's a vacuum that's being created. And we have to anticipate where it's going to go next, just like you would be playing tag or um, you know, hide-and-go-seek. And there was a uh, famous legend in the fire service says you have to know your enemy, and the enemy is building construction. You have to know how buildings are formulated. An old building with old wood could burn for hours and not have a problem. Some of these newer buildings with particle board and these different types of composite trusses, they're extremely dangerous. That They can kill you very quickly because the second heat gets on those particle boards, those laminated trusses, they literally just explode into fire and you lose all structural integrity. And we're going to take a short break. We're talking with Zachary Green, the United States Marine Corps Infantry veteran and firefighter, also author the book Warrior Entrepreneur. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. When we return, we're going to talk more about the fire, where he thought he was going to die, and how it motivates him today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Back to the Law Enforcement Today show. Our guest today is Zachary Green. He is a United States Marine Corps infantry veteran, also a firefighter veteran. He got lost in a fire, almost died. We're talking about that, the disorientation, the panic, how he saved his life, what he's doing with that today. And he's also author of the book, Warrior Entrepreneur. Your guy has done a lot of things, Zach. I get bored really easy and uh, always looking for that next adventure. Well, one of the things I found when I retired from police work, and I don't know if this is the case with you, is I was so used, and I didn't realize this, I was so used to the general adrenaline rushes, the ups, the downs, the ups, the downs, the nonstop, when all of a sudden my life became serene and I didn't have that adrenaline anymore, I felt like something was missing. Depression, maybe the word people ought to use, a lot of idle time, and like a big part of my life was missing. Did you encounter that? Absolutely, and I'm still continuing to chase that. Um, I think that the issue is when you have a type A personality where you enjoy this type of areas, 
you're constantly trying to, to feed that addiction, if you will. And it, and it really is an addiction. It's that adrenaline addiction, those other areas. And um, it, it's something that, you know, our brains are wired differently. When you choose to put on a uniform, you choose to put on a badge, you choose to go into a fire, you're not the normal person. And that's okay. But because our brains are different, it, it flips it. The calmest I am, my Zen moment, is not sitting on a beach looking at a beautiful sunset. It's not relaxing in a nice chair with a bottle of, you know, scotch or something like that. It's sitting on the back of a fire truck blowing through red lights with the, the smoke up ahead of us and seeing people jumping out of the, uh, the side of the building. I will get to a level of zen and calmness there because I know that's what I was called to do. Somebody had dialed those numbers 911 and says, we need help. They're at their worst, and I need to be at my best. And for me, in those high, high-stress situations, I'm the calmest I can be. Now, what's funny is if you show me a needle, like you're going to give me a shot or you're going to take my blood, I will pass out. I literally will get dizzy and pass out because I'm so scared of needles. And the reason is is I can't process that because I get a chance to think about it and think about how much it's going to hurt and those issues. But when I'm in an emergency and I'm being called on and someone needs me, I've been around decapitations. I've been around dismemberments. Right. I've been around horrible things. It doesn't bother me one bit at all. You show me a needle, I'm going to fall down on the ground. That's It's it's not unusual when you explain it to me. Because I tell people, there was a time in my life where I really enjoyed chasing a guy who murdered someone into a dark alley in a gunfight. I, I loved it. I must have loved the after effects. I must have loved all of it. But yet asking when I was single, a single girl to dance in a nightclub was paralyzing. It was just not rational fear. It's like one extreme, violence, trauma, terror. I know how to handle myself. The other ones, I don't know. It's a big unknown. Exactly. And, and again, I think that the synapses in our brain are reversed. The people that are called into these type of things where most people would have no problem going up and asking a girl for a dance. But my gosh, you can talk about going down a dark alley with you don't know what's at the end of that alley. They're, they're obviously Something's very just not right with us. And all of a sudden, number one, I understand you. Number two, I'm acutely aware that we're just not right. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm really okay with that. And most of my guests say yeah. this. Hey, look, we're damaged goods. We're okay with it. And then we laugh and laugh. Now nah, we put the fun in dysfunction. One of the things I want to get back to early in your career, you're fighting this fire. It was a training fire and it's very, very low light, almost no light. You wind up realizing that you are lost. You're disoriented. Does panic set in at that point? Well, of course. I mean, um, there, there's that time where you go to check, and then you check again, and then all of a sudden your mind catches up to the realization that you're not in a safe space, and panic sets in. But panic's good. You know, there, there's this concept of the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems in your brain. It's the fight or flight swing. It's really hard to have that flight if you're in an emergency situation like that, because that's when you would panic. But what happens is your brain starts to release chemicals, and it causes your pupils to dilate. It causes your breathing to change. It causes your heart rate to increase. You get sensitivity. You actually start to become more aware of your surroundings. You've had this experience before when you've been in a gunfight or oh, you've yeah. been chasing that perp. The people that are not law enforcement, if you've ever been in a car accident, everybody tells you the same thing. Right before the impact, everything slows down. 
That is your mind's ability to literally go to a superhuman level and say, okay, it's going to slow down so I can process all this information because I know something bad's going to happen. And it's really amazing when you talk to people that have been in the car accident, how they talk about these senses that came out of nowhere. So that's what happened to me. The panic sets in. I say, okay, Zach, I'm in trouble. What do you do? First thing you do is you revert back to your training. When you're doing your gun grills, like I did in the Marine Corps, and I'm sure you did all the time as a police officer, it's all muscle memory. You shouldn't think about it. You shouldn't even have to aim. You should automatically know where your, your, your service pistol is, is pointing to without even having to aim. Same thing in the fire service. What they teach us is the first thing you do is you start to breathe. As you start to take in those big, deep breaths, it allows more oxygen to flow to your brain to think better. And then you have to figure out, okay, how did I get in? How am I going to get out? And thank God I was able to find the hose because once you find the hose, you know that eventually that hose is going to lead back to the pump, which is outside the pumper on the on the fire engine. You said earlier on that you tried your flashlight and you'd forgot to change the batteries or charge it, whatever the situation may be, and it didn't work. Was there like a, oh my goodness, I'm really in trouble this point? Well, I, I recognized a, uh, a law of physics. Uh, it's a gentleman by the name of Murphy's, Murphy's Law. Anything can go wrong, will go yes, wrong will. at the worst time. And that's just as typical. You know, I was just thinking like, oh, great, that's what's going to happen. However, the reality is, is that flashlight probably wouldn't help me that much because we were getting so many smoke conditions that that flashlight would be very limited in the view. What I needed to do is orient myself of where that egress is, where that exit is. If there was that little tiny light coming out of that window, that would have been enough. If I could have seen something down the hallway, that would have been enough. If I could have seen the fellow firefighter with his reflective gear or glow in the dark or something, that would have been enough. But when you lose everything, that's when the panic sit in because you have no frame of reference or your orientation. What's really odd about this discussion, Zach, is, look, I've been through a lot of life-threatening things over the years. And I'm not saying it to, to be braggadocious. I'm just saying that's the way it is. But I've never been in a situation where I felt like I can't see, I don't know where I'm going, uh, I've lost all orientation, and the best thing I can do is grab the fire hose, find it, locate it, grab it, and start following the way out, almost like the, the Hansel and Gretel thing with the, the cookie crumbs or bread crumbs to find your way out. We use that example all the time. And, you know, it also helped to push me into my career that happened during the fire department and after fire department, and that is finding a solution to that problem of not being able to see in the dark. Because it's not the dark that kills you. It's the disorientation that then causes you to make mistakes the mistakes cause you to not be able to get out before your air runs out. And once your air runs out, it's game over. And it doesn't take long at all. We are talking with Zachary Green. Zachary is the United States Marine Corps infantry veteran, also a veteran firefighter. Uh, he was lost in a fire, almost died talking about that, talking about how he made it through. We're going to talk more about his life afterwards. And he's also author of the book, Warrior Entrepreneur. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. There's so much more heading your way. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. 
Click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return conversation of the Law Enforcement Today show with Zachary Green. Zachary is a United States Marine Corps infantry veteran, also a veteran firefighter. He got lost in a fire, almost died, disoriented. We're talking about that. We're also talking about his career as a firefighter because it inspires and motivates a lot of what he does today. And he's also author of the book, The Warrior Entrepreneur. Before we went to break, Zach, we're, we're talking about early in your career. You're fighting this fire. It doesn't matter whether it's training or not. It's people... People get killed and injured in training accidents all the time, not just in firefighting and law enforcement, military. It happens almost on a daily basis around the world. And, and I, I want to say this. We all know the dangers of law enforcement. One of the things that people don't realize is, and we had a saying in Baltimore where I was a police, almost every fire scene, at least one firefighter was injured. Now, Thankfully, it wasn't life-threatening injuries, but there was an injury. It's very, very dangerous work. Uh, I've had three, maybe four trips to the hospital on the, in an ambulance as a fire. It's ranging from broken bones, dislocations, getting spit on by somebody that was hepatitis positive. There, there's lots of interesting challenges that are out there. It's just part of the game, though. You just accept it, just like if you're a professional athlete. You know you're going to get banged up and hurt. You know, just... You know, try to do the best to mitigate it. Earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned building materials nowadays compared to the older buildings. Just insulation alone. We've made so much progress in insulation, making our homes more efficient energy-wise. However, when that stuff burns, it creates toxic fumes. Older homes, were they safer for firefighters or were they more dangerous? substantially safer and there's actually two components to this uh, this answer here the gear was safer and the houses were safer now you may say how the hell is that possible well let's talk about building construction first if you've got an oven and you turn your oven on but the seal on the oven doesn't fully seat that oven's not going to get that hot back in the days there was a lot of leaks you know you the winter time you could feel the cold air coming in through the windows or a little crack in the you know the the drywall or something like that so because of that fires never really got that hot now everything's about as you mentioned insulation it's not only stopping air from coming out it's also stopping the heat from getting out i'm sorry stopping air from coming in it's stopping the heat from getting out so houses are what we call tighter today there's not a lot of airflow that goes in and out so now that oven has got a really good seal so that that's number one the second thing is back in the days we had old growth lumber Lumber today is different than lumber was 50 years ago because we're able to make these trees grow faster. And as a result, you're not getting the fiber density that you used to get. And as a result, you can burn a two by four with a match where back in a hundred years ago, you could put a blowtorch on a two by four and it wouldn't ignite because those fibers were a lot denser. The other thing is the new construction materials are cheaper and they're also lighter. And the main reason we do that is through particle board. We're using laminated trusses. We're using particle boards. It's sawdust held together with adhesive. 
Guess what happens when you introduce heat to adhesive? It starts to off-gas, it rapidly loses its structural integrity, and then that sawdust doesn't catch on fire, it explodes into fire. So once that fire breaches the fire stop, which in most cases is drywall, and it gets into that attic where those trusses are, it's a very, very dangerous situation. So because of that, buildings fall down a lot easier, they burn up a lot faster, and they burn a lot hotter. So that's, that's the building side. Let's talk about the firefighter side. Back in the old days, the firefighters fought gear with a raincoat and high, what we call three-quarter boots. And you could only get so far into the fire before you had to start your attack. So if the fire was in the kitchen, I maybe only can make it to the outside of the living room before I shoot that stream onto the kitchen to put the fire out. However, with the gear that we have today, which is literally equivalent to like what the astronauts wear, it's Kevlar, it's Nomex, it's got tremendous thermal protective properties. We're able to get right into the seat of the fire, right where that fire is. And what happens is there's a growth curve in fire where it starts to build up and build up. And at a certain point, it's called a flashover. And that's when everything in the room catches on fire. The air catches on fire, the smoke catches on fire, all the materials catch fire. Guess what? Including you. And if you're that close to the fire when it flashes, you're dead. You've got literally a second or two, and then you're gone. So firefighters are dying more now than they were back in the olden days because we're getting too close to the fire when it really takes off. And then the third one that I didn't talk about, and that's more dangerous for civilians than for firefighters, is when a house burned up 100 years ago, it was wool, it was cotton, it was wood, it was all organic materials, like going out to the campfire and breathing in the smoke from a campfire. Now we have what's called methyl ethyls. It's kind of a funny term off of all the polyesters and, and different types of vinyls that are out there. All these chemicals, these um, materials, the main byproduct they put out is hydrogen cyanide. When your carpet burns and the nylon and the polyester in that carpet burn, you're going to die before you even see the smoke because of the off-gassing that occurs from all those synthetic materials are very lethal. People do not die from fires. They die from smoke inhalation, and usually before the smoke inhalation, they, they're rendered unconscious from carbon monoxide, and then those toxic gases usually will become fatal before the smoke and the fire ultimately get to the body. You paint a rather grim picture. I, I appreciate the modern technology. I appreciate the energy efficiency. I appreciate all that. You know, I don't live in fear of fire until you and I start talking, and then I start thinking, well, what do you do if all of a sudden... During this time of season, the Christmas tree, it catches fire. I've seen videos, Zach, where Christmas trees, artificial or real, doesn't matter which one it is, how quickly they can become fully engulfed and how quickly they can take an entire room, if not house down. And that should petrify anyone. Well, a simple Google search can show you a bazillion videos like that. The main issue that causes that is when the trees are dry. If you just keep your tree wet at all times, it's, it's very difficult to get that thing to ignite. When the pine needles dry and they start to really put out that, that oil, that pine tar, if you will, that's very flammable. And that's why you see those things literally explode. They don't catch on fire. They explode into fire. And it's because of that dryness. So keeping it wet, yeah, that's important. But, you know, when you look at fear and you may say, well, what, why in the world are we building these buildings when we can kill people in that? Well, it comes down to... The, the good old dollar. It's a lot cheaper to save all that money on the building and then pay out the insurance payment when three or four people die in that fire 
than it is to spend more expensive and spend higher grade materials that are more fire resistant. It's all done by insurance. The actuaries run all these tables and they have determined, again, we know someone's going to die in this building, but because we're saving so much money off of all these other buildings, we go ahead and budget for whatever that settlement is that has to come out there. Well, that I would love to say that's reassuring talk, but it's not, and I'm being sarcastic. So, so let's go back to the typical homeowner scenario. You're in a relatively new house. You've got all these modern technologies, all this modern equipment, all these things that create increased hazard for you. What are some of the things that you and I, or a regular Joe Blow, should look out for to help eliminate or decrease the chances of fire in our house? So I don't know the exact percentage on this. I want to say it's something like 70 or 80% helpful. But the single most important thing you can do if you find yourself in a fire is close the door. Simple as that. Even a non-fire rated door will hold fire back for 20, sometimes even 30 minutes. And the other thing is it's airflow. Fire needs fuel, it needs heat, and it needs oxygen. If you can subtract any of those three components, you're going to stop the fire from either growing or you're going to cause it to start to decay. By closing the door, you can interrupt that airflow that's happening through your vent system and everything else. So that's the first thing. You got a fire in your house, you're running out, close the door. Now, don't run back inside the house and start closing doors. We want to get you out as quickly as possible. But number one, close your door. Number two, practice your evacuation plan, especially if you have young kids in the house. Find two ways to get out of your house. Because if you just do one way, remember that guy, Mr. Murphy and his physics, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. If you try to practice going out the front door every time, and what happens if the fire is right by that front door? Now you need a secondary Yeah, plan. if you don't have a secondary plan or plan B, uh, quite often panic sets in. We are talking with Zachary Green. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to talk more about his experience as a firefighter, how it motivates what he does today, and what you can do to mitigate your risk. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Are you frustrated with current social media platforms? There's a new platform called Retalk for people just like you. The platform is run and moderated by people who believe in patriotic family values. Go to the website now at retalk.com forward slash L-E-T. That's R-E-T-A-L-K dot com slash L-E-T. And you can claim your own Law Enforcement Today badge. Back to our conversation with Zachary Green on the Law Enforcement Today show. He's the United States Marine Corps Infantry veteran, also a veteran firefighter. He got lost in a fire, almost died, and he took what he learned his firefighting career and did some pretty amazing things. We'll talk about that in a moment. He's also author of the book, Warrior Entrepreneur. One of the things I love about this show was firefighters, police, military, victims of crime, they don't necessarily have a platform to tell their stories. And the newspaper does a horrible job. Not just a newspaper, print media, radio, television. They'll say uh, a firefighter was injured on scene 
and the injuries are not life-threatening, and that's all they'll ever say. They don't talk about anything else. So people really don't have a clue what you go through, what other first responders go through, but they're quick to judge because they really don't understand. So I want to go back to your career fighting fires. You said earlier you had many trips to the hospital uh, for numerous reasons. Injuries, some bigger, some smaller, but all of them were, can we say, life, life-changing? Definitely life-changing, no question about that. I don't know if I would consider them life-threatening, but certainly life-changing. I've talked to many law enforcement, many firefighters, their family members that were at incidents like 9-11 and had to deal with catastrophic illnesses afterwards, many of whom died from 9-11-related cancers. Uh, we were told back then, they were told, it's okay to breathe, you don't need a mask, any of that stuff. We've, we since found out that's not true. And what you guys, when I say guys, that means men and women in firefighting service, get exposed to on fire scenes, I think would curl people's toes if they really understood what you were breathing. Even when you're not inside a fire, outside fighting the fire, the amount of smoke and what's in that smoke can be devastating. Well, you know, Canada has really done leaps and bounds above the United States when it comes to firefighter health and safety. They treat every single fire scene as a hazmat situation where you have to go through decontamination after you get out. You have to be able to shower and do these things. And, and here in the United States, we, we tend to look cool if you can not wear your mask and you get the black soot underneath your nose, not realizing what we're doing. The other thing is in Canada, if you served as a firefighter for any point in time and you die of cancer at 80, that's considered a line of duty death. Family gets benefits and you can also get health coverage for that, even though you were a firefighter 20 or 30 years ago. In the United States, if you get fire cancer on the job, sometimes they don't even cover it for you. So we've got a long way to go to deal with this cancer. And, you know, what cancer is is gene mutation. And the chemicals that we breathe in are so toxic and so dangerous, causing this gene mutation. The two areas that I've heard that is really pop, uh, very significant cancer for firefighters, everyone thinks it's lung cancer. It's actually not. It's, it's thyroid cancer and testicular cancer. And the reason why it will surprise you, the thyroid is around your neck, and so a lot of times we have these hoods that we wear out of Nomex, and they just soak up like a sponge all those toxins. When we're doing what we call overhaul, cleaning up the fire after it's over, opening up the, the walls, finding those hot spots, we take our, our, um, our, our hood and we wrap it around our neck. So we're taking all those carcinogens that are in that, that fabric and we're shoving it right into our neck, and we're also sweating and we're, our pores are open. The second thing is, is the first thing you do when you get done going to a fire is you go take a and you're taking your hands that are full of all these carcinogens and you're touching your genitals and you're literally pushing it right into those areas there. We all know you wash your hands after you go to the bath and nobody really washes their hands before. And those are two really eye-opening things that I learned from the fire service about the importance of of cleanliness and, and really treating every fire scene like it's a hazmat scene. Part of me applauds Canada for doing what they do, and part of me is still ashamed that our country, as advanced as we are, that we're still not taking care of our first responders. And I, you and I both know, look, back in the day, you had really traumatic situations you had to deal with, and we all got scarred up. And all those things, you talk about decapitations, all those things, I believe they start to, to wear on you. If you said anything about it, 
the response we got was, suck it up, buttercup. You're police. You got a job to do. Go do your job. And we can deal with this later. And I'm sure it's the same way for the firefighters. Yeah, you want to limit your upward mobility. Talk about that you're stressed out. Talk about you have suicidal ideations. Talk about how that person has just jumped off the building in front of you is keeping you up at night. Our biggest challenge and our biggest dark secret is is those injuries and those illnesses that you don't see, and those are the mental ones. PTSD, um, those type of traumas that you talk about, um, that's where the real significance is. I do think we are starting to get a little bit better about it, not quite where it is. The military is starting to do a little bit better job on this also. But at the end of the day, it is so important that we address our mental health and deal with some of those issues. Because what guys like you and I do is we suppress them and we just tuck them down in that little dark space in our stomach or whatever. And we don't want to deal with it. But eventually that will come back. And usually the more you suppress something, when it comes back, it tends to come back a lot more intense than if you had dealt with it originally. And usually it comes back as anger and rage. And uh, quite often these brothers and sisters resort to substance abuse, uh, alcohol primarily, to sedate themselves and go to sleep. And that creates a problem in itself for a large segment of our population. It's it's the alcohol is, is used as an antidepressant, as a drug, if you are fortunate enough to, to give up the bottle and, and deal with that, you no longer have that drug that's helping you. And then you got to deal with the real problems. And sometimes when you stop drinking, and I'm, I'm a huge benefit, uh, a huge proponent of AA in those areas when people need that help, but a lot of them think if they just put the bottle down that they'll be fine. No. Now you, you've stopped masking those issues. You have to deal with those real issues that cause you to pick up the bottle or cause you to be depressed and begin with. And that's when things can get really dark. I want to shift gears really quick. In your career, you talked about it several times in this interview, low light, disorientation. You just you came up with some ideas that can help save the lives of not just firefighters, but also other first responders and military as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I um, was so moved by that experience of being disoriented that I invented a product that was a glow-in-the-dark material that would help firefighters see each other in the dark. I actually was able to put it into high-temperature silicone bands and wear it around your helmet, on your tools. And at that point, my fire chief sat me down and said, look, you've got something that could revolutionize this industry. Stop treating it as a hobby. So, my again, I was a volunteer firefighter. My full-time job was with big multi-billion dollar marketing company. I was able to get a severance package from them, refinanced my home, maxed out my credit cards, went to a big firefighter trade show called FDIC, sold $100,000 of products in three days. Now, the problem is, is I didn't have enough money to buy the raw materials. I couldn't find anyone that would make it for me because they wanted their money up front. But I figured it out. And I ended up growing that company to about 100,000 firefighters in 25 different countries using our products. For me, it was worth so much more than the money because I know I've got multiple times I've had stories of my brothers and sisters saying, hey, I couldn't see anything. But the glow off of that band or that tool helped me orient myself. And from that, I I parlayed that into a company called LumaWare. Foxfire was the company for the firefighters. LumaWare, we started making exit signs that don't need batteries, light bulbs, or electricity. And we used all those brand ambassadors out there, those firefighters that are using our products to talk about the technology and how it works. And I ended up growing that into about a $30 million company. And so I'm at a point in my time now uh, where I've been able to hire some really good people, get them out of their way, and they're they're running LumaWare right now, and it's doing tremendous work. 
But that's where the, really where the book came in. I wanted to be able to document, not necessarily specifically my business, but share the warrior principles that you share, that I share, that our military shares, that can help you overcome challenges and the crucibles in your life. And that's really the basis of the book, is that you're challenged, either in your case it was in patrol school or in, in boot camp for me in the Marine Corps. It's very hard. It's very difficult. But then you have a crucible. The crucible is that point in your life where everything changes. So in my case, it was when I thought I was going bankrupt in my business. We were running out of money. I was going to lose my house. I literally had a panic attack, thought I was having a heart attack. It turned out to be a panic attack. And that was my crucible. At the bottom of the crucible is the abyss. And the abyss is where failure and darkness reside. Now, if you spend too much time with the abyss, as the great philosopher Nietzsche once said, if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss will eventually stare back at you. And take you. Where can people get more information about you and your book? Uh, it's available on warriorentrepreneurbook.com and also on Amazon. Uh, just type in Warrior Entrepreneur, Barnes & Nobles, anywhere books are sold. But uh, best opportunities is go directly to my website, and I'm more than happy to sign a copy of it. Zachary, thanks so much for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. It's been a real honor to speak with you today. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.